My friend, it may get far worse for you to live for Christ. I can't promise you some of the things they're promising. But I can promise you because God promises it in this book. That if you receive Jesus as your Lord, He will forgive all your sin. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are nearing the end of our study in the book of Romans, and today as we conclude the next to last message in this series, Dr. Brogy looks at the importance of being rooted in God's Word and having your children rooted in the Bible as well, so as to be able to discern error from those who preach and teach a false gospel. Look, if you do not root your children in the living and abiding Word of God, what God has revealed in Holy Scripture, then you're in big trouble. Let me ask you a question. Let me read from a popular preacher. He said, the foundation of our faith is not the Scripture. The foundation of our faith is not the infallibility of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is something that happened in history. And the issue is always, who is Jesus? That's always the issue. The Scripture is simply a collection of ancient documents that tell us that story. And you think that's true? Look, it is true that the foundation of our salvation is the death and resurrection of Christ. But everything you know about the death and resurrection of Christ, everything that you know about Jesus that's accurate, comes from the Scripture. Who said it? Andy Stanley. Listen, there is a lot of deception that's going on in the church. There's a lot of things that are unfolding. He preached a sermon three years ago this month. When Gracie meets Truthy. And it was a section, it was a sermon dealing with homosexuality in his church. And it was a very carefully constructed illustration with, you know, a a big metal board where he put the little people and he argued that these two people who were homosexual men who were living together were doing what was wrong because they were still, because they were still married to their former spouses. So they couldn't serve. But once they divorced their spouses, they sat with him at a Christmas service. And he celebrated not only their lifestyle, but now his, their two former spouses who were remarried. And pastors all across America have challenged him and said, come out and tell us what you believe on this subject. It's been three years. I'm still waiting. We are living in challenging days. And God wants us to mark them out. You need to be alert because so many people are getting sucked into so much error and because pastors no longer are opening the Bible because that's not popular, that's not cool, and you want to be cool, and you want to be popular, and so people's minds are devoid of truth and Christian people are being led astray. Secondly, not only are we to watch for false teachers, and by the way, I hope I am dead wrong on Andy Stanley. He went to the same seminary I went to. I love his father. His father had a profound influence in my life. And I hope I am dead wrong on him. him. 
But we need to be alert, my friends. Watch out for false teachers. Secondly, we are to avoid false teachers. Now, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you've learned and turn away from them. The Bible is clear that we are to separate from those who teach false doctrine, who veer from plain apostolic truth. It does not say debate with them. It says turn away from them. Um, when I was in campus ministry, I was often challenged to debate different people. And for the most part, I avoided those debates on the basis of what God said in Proverbs. Don't, it says answer a fool according to his folly and then not to answer a fool according to his folly. There is a time certainly to speak up and to help people who've been deceived understand the truth, but there are some people who really don't want to know the truth. Occasionally you'll meet atheists, or, or more often you'll meet agnostics. You know what an agnostic is? The word gnostic, gnosis, comes from the Greek. It means knowledge. And when you put the alpha prefix in front of gnosis, it cancels it. So literally an agnostic is a know-nothing. He's not saying there is no God. He's saying, I don't know if there's a God. I'm an agnostic. When I meet them, I'll ask them, well, are you a hard agnostic or are you a soft agnostic? You say, well, what's the difference? Well, a hard agnostic says, I don't know and I don't want to know. A soft agnostic says, I don't know, but I'm willing to find out. Don't waste your time on trying to debate the first one. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be like him. But then Proverbs says, answer full as his folly deserves, that he will not be wise in his own eyes. But listen, for the most part, we do not debate false teachers. We separate from them. That's the admonition. You might want to jot down a few verses, because this in our day, unfortunately, is so hateful, apparently, so divisive, apparently, but it's what God says. Write down this, 2 Timothy 3.5. We just read it. Of those who denied the power of the gospel, he says, avoid such men as these. Write down this verse, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 14. 2 Thessalonians 3.14. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Or write this down, Titus 3 and verse 10. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Now, please understand, Paul is not instructing us or the Christians at Rome or in these other passages that we're to have no contact with unbelievers. That would fly in the face of what God revealed through him in other places and what Jesus commissioned us to do. In fact, the Lord Jesus was so associated with lost people that they slandered him as being a gluttonous man, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We're committed and commanded to reach those people who are lost. However, those who are confirmed in false teaching, God says, separate from them have nothing to do with them. Why? Because in embracing them, you are endorsing them. So I got all kinds of hate mail when I preached a sermon years ago that, that was broadcast in the different states that I broadcast, especially in New England. Why was I such a divisive person by not embracing Rob Bell? And I was commenting on that Christmas sermon about Rob Bell who was squishy on the virgin birth. I said, he's really squishy on this, and he's not clear, and he's saying it's not all that important. It's very important. 
And now, of course, you see him on Oprah. He denies the faith. He's performing gay marriages. And I don't say that with a sense of pride. I say it with a sense of regret because he once pastored a church with thousands of people in it. God says there is a time to separate. So Rob Bell was welcomed into Willow Creek even after he wrote his book, Love Wins, that denied the eternal retribution of hell. How could he let such a man in his door where he got a standing ovation? Because they're ignorant of the Scripture. And when you are ignorant of truth, you will embrace error. And that's what the devil is doing in America. He has taken the exposition of the Word of God away from the pulpit, and he's given pastors this platform where they quote a couple of verses in their sermon, and they make you feel good, but they're not giving you what God says they are supposed to give, and that is sound doctrine. Now, I meet Christian people. I have a friend who's a pastor in a United Methodist Church. I told him years ago, I said, Dean, you need to leave that church. And I quoted to him these verses from Romans 16. I said every week, I said, you're a Bible-believing pastor. He said, I'm staying for the influence. You're influencing them, all right. You're collecting their tithes. A portion goes to the denomination at large that is supporting all kinds of wicked things that are contrary to Scripture. Or I meet Christian people who are in dead apostate churches. I said, why are you in that church? Well, you know, our family's been here for generations. My daddy was here, and my granddaddy was here, and my great-granddaddy was here, and I'm staying to have an influence. I want to be a witness in this lost denomination. Yeah, you're a witness, all right. Yes, you're having an influence. People look at you and they say, he's a good man. He's a good husband. He's got a great marriage. He's got great kids. He goes to that church. I guess that's where I need to go. And they get exposed to error. Ah, but I can't leave. You know, grandmother's buried out back, and that's where I'm planning to be buried. Listen, if grandma could get up and leave, she would, but you ought to. And if you're in a church that has compromised the truth today, you need to get out. God says, keep your eye on them, mark them, avoid them, separate from them. That's the danger of false teaching. Secondly, there's the description of false teachers. He gives us two marks or two ways by which we can identify them. They're not living for the glorification of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not living to exalt Him. They're living for themselves. First, they are self-centered. They're self-centered. Notice how verse 18 begins. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. They're serving their own cause, their own self-centered cause. They're not living for Christ. They're not the slaves of the living God. No, they're slaves of the evil one, knowingly or unknowingly. They either rebel against God's word, or they ignore the authority of his word, or they ignore the importance of his word, or they just flat out deny its authority, but they are living for self, for fame, for self-gratification, and more often than not, for money. And he noticed how he describes them here. You see that word appetite? If you have the old English, it says their belly, but of their own belly. Now, that's kind of odd, but it's not bad. Why? Because the Greek word is the Greek word kolea, and we get our word colitis from it that describes the midsection here of the body, particularly the stomach. 
In other words, they're ruled by their own central desires. Paul said it this way to the church at Philippi, for many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping. They're enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, exact same Greek word, whose God is their appetite. Whose God is their appetite. They're living for self. They pretend to speak for God, but really they do not. They're interested in their work, their name, their movement, their account, their money, their power. Paul warned the church at Colossus, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. And Jude says, he says these false teachers are flattering people for the sake of, of gaining an advantage. That's what they're about. They're not for the here and after. They're for the here and now. They're trying to gain an advantage. And when he marks them in this little book of Jude, one of their gains, of course, is financial. It's not a a gospel of self-denial. It is a gospel of self-fulfillment. That God wants you to be happy. Look, God may make you happy, but first and foremost, he wants you to be holy. He wants you to be holy. And if being holy makes you happy, wonderful, but sometimes it brings all kinds of things that would make even the best of Christians unhappy. When those dear saints last week were shot and last month were beheaded, and they, I'm sure, went through their minds that they would never raise their children or their grandchildren, it was probably not the happiest moment in their life. But we live in a day of self-gratification rather than self-denial and taking up our cross and following him. And how different are the people described in Hebrews 11 who are said to have been stoned, sawn in two. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. Now, this gospel of self-fulfillment was introduced by Norman Vincent Peale in the 1950s, the gospel of positive thinking. And he was a smooth speaker, if you ever heard him. Robert Shuler picked up his ministry. He, of course, died about 10 days ago. He knows better. But Joel Olstein has perfected it. He has mastered it. And this whole message that never has a single barb in it, that would cause you to bristle or to step back or to feel, hey, God says that what I'm doing is wrong. No, no, you don't want any of that negative thinking in your message, Pastor. That will drive them away. Listen, we need to think our way through this in this day because it's a deceptive day. And people are buying it, even evangelicals, they're self-centered. Secondly, they're deceptive. That leads me to my next point. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. In their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of many. The King James says they deceive the hearts of the simple. What does he mean by the simple? doesn't mean they're stupid. Listen, I've seen men, I know a guy who's a, one of the finest surgeons I've ever met, and he's deceived. I've met men with PhDs, attorneys, well-educated people. He's not saying that they're stupid people, that they have a low IQ. 
What he is saying, as the ESV renders it, they are naive. Another translation says they are unsuspecting. Here it says they are, they are simple, so to speak. Uh, they are dis, they're unsuspecting. How so? Spiritually speaking. They do not see the error of what they've embraced. And so they come in with flattery, and a new pastor comes in. He says, oh, you're a wonderful congregation. I've heard so many good things about you and all the wonderful things you're doing. And on and on he blathers. And the guy out there in the seat begins to say, you know, this, I like this guy. He makes me feel good. And he secretly introduces error that looks like truth. He lays it alongside. It's a parallel doctrine, but it's a half-truth. And you get farther enough down the road and you'll discover that the church is then far away from God. They're very positive in their speech. It's smooth speech, literally. Smooth words. Sounds good. No barbs in it. Listen, there is a battle for words in our day. You mark it down big and plain. If you cannot tell where a man stands, then you already know. If a man believes in the Word of God, he will tell you that. If he believes homosexual marriage is wrong, he will tell you that. If he believes in the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture, he will tell you that. If he believes that drunkenness and fornication and adultery and divorce or any other kind of sin that you can think of, all of which is forgivable. But if he believes that, he will tell you that. And if you are not naive, if you are not simple, if you are not unsuspecting, when you hear error, you will spot it in a moment. So in World Magazine, which is a great Christian publication, they were following the Episcopal Church USA. Let me read to you from the article. Amid the controversies in the Episcopal Church USA, we note that Bishop Brownie's appointee for evangelism coordinator was the Reverend Linder Strohmeyer who says she isn't, quote, sure that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only source of salvation. Perhaps, she adds, a relationship with Christ is merely optional. And of course, in the article, she refers to God as both it and as she. Listen, a woman who is not sure whether Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation who believes that a relationship with Jesus Christ is optional, should not be headed, heading evangelism for the Episcopal Church. Unless, of course, you don't believe that. And I fear that's where the Episcopal Church is today. So they come in with smooth words. Larry King asked Joel Olstein three times his face, do you believe Jesus Christ is the only way to God? No, no, no. And it's not until he gets tens of thousands of letters that he changes his speech. And so they come with a different view of Scripture. Either the Bible is absolutely true or it's not. It doesn't become the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It doesn't contain the Word of God. Jesus said it is the Word of God. They said, well, partially. It's inspired in spots, and they no doubt are inspired to spot the spots. Look, it's either all God's Word or it's not God's Word at all. So how are we going to apply this today? Let me make two suggestions as I close. Number one, first, we are to identify false teachers. The application comes right from the text, but I want us not to miss the application Again, in verse 17, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances or traps, you could render it, contrary to the teaching, 
which you've earned, learned. Keep your eye on them. Watch out for them. And I imagine those believers in Rome probably thought, well, who in our city is teaching doctrine contrary to what our Lord and Savior gave us? And is there anyone in our fellowship who is very, keep your eyes, scoping, we get our word scope, microscope, telescope, uh, a telescope you look afar, a microscope you look up close. He is saying, in essence, put people under the lens of Scripture so that you're not duped. Augustine said this in the 5th century, beware of the man who abounds in eloquent nonsense. I like that. He said it well. And understand that this is command not just given to pastors, though pastors in Acts 20 are called to guard the flock. And that's what I'm trying to do today. But also it is given here in this text to the whole congregation. We're to help each other. We're to guard each other from those who could easily be sucked up into false teaching. I remember as a brand new Christian, I was saved three months, and I went to a meeting on MIT, and there were 600 people. The name of the movement was called the Local Church that was started not by Watchman Nee, but a guy named Watchman Lee, a wholly different person. And it was a marvelous meeting. You felt like you could walk in a cloud when you came out of that place. And then a brother in Christ said to me, but let me tell you what they believe. Now, if I were to make my decision on a feeling, I would have been there every week. But God brought into my thinking what he said. And I was, believe it or not, for a short time, for one week, with a group of heretics. So we are to identify false teachers. Secondly, we are to avoid their influence. Note again in the latter part of verse 17, turn away from them. We are to evaluate them, but we're not to be influenced by them. We are to turn away from them. Remember, verse 18 says they deceive. What is the nature of deception? When you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. That's the nature of it. We're not to be simple, naive Christians. We are to be careful. A family took shelter in their tornado shelter there in Oklahoma. And they came out and everything was just devastated. And their little five-year-old daughter a few years ago, she, the dad was not paying close attention. There was a wire that was emitting sparks and she was just fascinated by it. And he shouted, Lori, stop! Lori, don't move! Stop! She grabbed the wire and she was instantly killed. It looked like fun. It seemed harmless but it was definitely dangerous. And Paul is warning us. Listen, I'm not going to tell you what you will hear in some churches. I cannot tell you that Jesus will make you rich and that he will heal all your diseases because the Word of God does not teach that. I cannot tell you that the Ten Commandments are, as Robert Schuller said, who again, just died recently, the 10 suggestions. And I certainly will not tell you what Perry Noble, who's coming to our county, will have over 35,000 people in church this morning, that they are the 10 promises. Not only did he do a, a, a butcher job on the etymology of the world, saying that the word commandment doesn't mean commandment, that it means a promise. Goodness. He was so far off. 
I mean, even the person who only reads the English text knows there must be a difference. Paul says the first commandment with a promise. He's separating a promise from a commandment in Ephesians 6. Lay that aside. What he did to the Ten Commandments is horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. And he's coming to our community. In a church two hours from here, a church that was larger than our church, hundreds of people have left to go to this other church. And I've met pastors now all over the state who had 75, 100 people. Now they have 10 and 15. And the missions, efforts that they were supporting are now lost because everyone's going to Perry Noble's church. It's dangerous. And there are so many simple, naive Christians who think it is just fine. I can't tell you and make the promises. I will not tell you that everything will be good if you receive Jesus. Open Doors came out, probably one of the foremost ministries on persecution in the world. And they said last year was a banner year. We're over 100 million Christians now worldwide are coming under some form of persecution. My friend, it may get far worse for you to live for Christ. I can't promise you some of the things they're promising. But I can promise you because God promises it in this book that if you receive Jesus as your Lord, He will forgive all your sin. You'll be guaranteed that your name is written in His book. He'll put the Spirit of God in you who will change you from the inside out. And with that change may come persecution and op opposition. But it will be the best and the wisest decision that you will ever, ever make. It's breaking news. Let me ask you this morning, are you saved? You say, Pastor, I know the plan of salvation. I didn't ask you if you know the plan of salvation. The devil knows the plan of salvation. Do you know the man of salvation? Do you have a relationship with the living God that has changed your life? You can if you will come and trust in the Lord Jesus and offer yourself as his slave. Now, our Father and our God, we thank you for these words that your servant, the Apostle Paul, was led by the Spirit of God himself to pen for us, not just for the church at Rome, but for this fellowship. Help us to heed it. Many have ignored it. Help us to heed it. Help us to have ears to see and wills to respond. Father, we are living in challenging days. These days that you said would come in the last times and latter times. Help us as your people to be alert. Help someone today who's never trusted in the sufficiency of Christ and his cross and simple childlike faith to say, Lord Jesus, save me. We ask it, our Father, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. It is not enough to know about Jesus. You must believe in Him and His finished work on the cross. For a copy of today's study from Romans 16 entitled, Breaking News, use the Search the Scriptures with Carl Brogy app for smartphones and tablets, 
or visit us online at churchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling us at 877-787-7478 and requesting program ROM73. Tomorrow, Pastor Carl's wife, Audrey, is in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. You can hear more of Audrey's messages on the Search the Scriptures app found in the iTunes Store and Google Play Store. And also check out Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real, on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. When we return Monday, we'll begin the final message of Dr. Brogy's series in the Book of Romans. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.